What's up, everybody? We are here with Mr. Zaid, aka the Energy King. This is episode number three of the No Name Health Podcast. Zaid, what's going on, man? What's going on, brother? I'm doing amazing. How are you? Good, dude. Thank you so much for coming on. Really excited to have this conversation. Everybody, Zaid has his own podcast, uh, the 2 a.m. podcast. They have a lot of great guests on. Episode 189. Congratulations on that. Thank you, man. It's a, a long road, a lot of um, problems leading up to it, but regardless, we're consistent and uh, we stick with it throughout the process. That's how it is, man. I've never seen a road to success that's not been rocky. But Zaid, we were talking a little bit before we hopped on the call about how many fucking problems there are with health in general, particularly with men. Now, you are one of the people I see at the forefront of addressing these and making them very uh, apparent and conspicuous. Now, what are the biggest ones that you're seeing right now that are you think are going under the radar? Biggest problems for, for men in particular, I think, um, number one is obviously low testosterone from just a poor lifestyle in general. I, I don't think um, a lot of people need to be told that that's an issue, but there are a few related issues that, that stem from that, and I think two important ones are iron overload and then um, just heart disease in general. So heart disease is one of the biggest killers, if not the biggest killer in the world. Um, and it's ultimately what my father passed from. So I'm very passionate about that topic. And I think, uh, of course, there are a lot of details and nuance within those areas. But I think those three things um, are the biggest issues really that men face today. Yeah, those are big factors. Now, for me personally, I understand how big of an issue heart health and degenerative health diseases are, but I don't know if it's because I'm young, because I haven't had anyone directly in my family affected by it. But, you know, what's the deal with, with heart disease in general? Like, why is it becoming such a pervasive issue? Man, that's a big question. I think at the root of it, it's, it's just chronic inflammation. And that really stems into every other form of chronic disease. Um, you can get into the, the cholesterol argument, the blood work, um, it, it comes from multiple fronts, but really I think chronic inflammation and endothelial dysfunction is the root at which um, this problem rises. And if you look throughout everybody's lifestyle, considering that it is the biggest killer throughout the world, uh, everything is geared towards contributing to either chronic inflammation or endothelial dysfunction. So, Gotcha. So, I mean, I always, I've been really interested in looking at organs in particular and saying like, oh, how important is this for us as an organism as a whole? You know, how much of a risk factor is it with you know, health issues? And like, what would it look like if I were to optimize this organ? With heart health, um, once again, like I, I really don't take my heart into consideration that much other than doing cardio. Um, but it seems like a good proxy for overall health, right? Like it's the number one killer worldwide. We know that there's a lot of risk factors that can affect your health. Um, is that like a, a thing, like is that an oversimplification saying that like your heart is a proxy for overall health or is it a little bit more isolated than that? I don't think it's an oversimplification. I mean, everything is connected in the body as you already know. So really what affects the thyroid affects the heart. What affects the heart affects um, how you perform in the gym. So what I, what I want to express to people is there really needs to be a more holistic approach to thinking about health in general or really just any topic, whether it's politics, society, so forth. Um, because you start to realize that it's all interconnected. And if you begin to compartmentalize certain things, that's when you get into trouble. And that's where I think like our, uh, our Western allopathic model of medicine has fallen into uh, a big trap. So, yeah, you know, I see that as well. And I've had a lot of discussions on that. I'm a personal, you know, certified allopathic medicine disrespecter. But the issue that we see is <laughs> the issue that we see is a lot of these medical professionals and also scientific professionals, right? MDs and PhDs alike, they specialize. Because that's what you have to do because health is so nuanced. Health is so deep and dirty. You have to specialize in one pathway. But, you know, if you spend 15 years studying the, you know, cardiovascular system and the cardiovascular system only, you get tunnel vision. You don't understand how the yeah. organism functions as a whole. This is a serious problem because generalists can't go deep enough and specialists can't go broad enough. And I honestly, like, what, what's the solution here, right? Get a bunch of specialists in the same room, you know, create a panel, um, or are we all just screwed? Well, it's a great point. Get them in the same room. Like if you look at the conventional system today, nobody communicates with each other. Um, like you said, everything is siloed. Everything is compartmentalized. And as a result, people 
get stuck within their own little ideologies and bubbles, and they never cross-pollinate, so to speak. So if you have that sort of system set up and you add the fact that uh, conglomerates are corrupting the system through lobbying and all sorts of, of um, payouts and money, I think it's a recipe for disaster, and that's exactly what we're in right now. Like if you yeah, go to um, a doctor and try to solve your chronic issue, <laughs> what are the chances that you're going to come out with a successful outcome? Almost yeah, zero. I mean – it's it's crazy like you go to seven different doctors with seven different specialties and they'll give you seven different diagnoses and probably like 27 different you know treatment plans and you know it's so siloed that even like how much interactions do say radiologists and orthopedic surgeons get none at all they're in different hospitals they're in different clinics they never interact with one another outside of med school nope. so it's it's really crazy um but you know with that being said you know what it's, it's like, what, what do people do, right? Like, I think you and I, we had a more stubborn approach. We were like, all right, cool. We see that the modern medicine system is failing us. It's time for us to take it in our own hands and commit, you know, thousands of hours to just doing trivial research that may or may not deliver an outcome. But given the average person, mm -hmm. like, what are they supposed to do, right? Yeah, tough question. I think, um, well, it seems like a tough question on the surface, but Really, I think, number one, you have, to, you have to come to terms with the fact that there needs to be some level of self-education. So you have to develop that curiosity and you have to go out and search for some information. Uh, the nice thing about our community on Twitter is that you have a bunch of like obsessive freaks who are just focused on this 24-7. So you can just automatically go to them, ask them questions and, and gain more uh, insight. And then in terms of like the other stuff, I've, I just actually signed up for a company called CrowdHealth. Um, per suggestion of Ryan Griggs on Twitter. So that's an option people can go down. It's not technically health insurance, but um, think of it like crowdsourced health insurance, technically. So that's, a, that's another important one that I'm, I'm gaining insight on. And ultimately, it's about the practice. Like, what is your daily routine? How do you set it up? Um, are you taking the, the bits of information from people like us online and then putting it into your own daily ritual? I think that's the most important thing. Yeah, application is everything. And I do believe it's also very individual dependent, right? It's like, what do you value? For me and you as well, it seems like we value that, creative, that curious process. We value the autonomy of actually understanding health from a mechanistic standpoint so then we can kind of pave our own paths. You know, I think we both experiment a lot with health and we yeah. actually derive joy out of it. There may be other people that are more outcome-based and that's when it's like, well, you better create a really solid network of professionals, not even professionals, but just well-educated people that you trust and leverage that. And you know, maybe even that looks like getting a coach, right? Or just like exposing yourself to information in ways that you can. Um, and we have no excuse now. You know, it was different in the 80s when you had to go to a library and dig through like these horrible, you know, medical books uh, that were written in like the 40s with antiquated information that, you know, more or less could be coming from um, less trustworthy sources. But now you have everything at your fingertips. It's really just about finding the right stuff. So, you know, I think with that being said, moving on to the next one that you brought up and we kind of skimmed past, it's like the testosterone crisis. I know that this is a pressing topic and you said that it might be a little bit overplayed, but I think it is overplayed, but people still skim past it. Like, why is the mm -hmm. testosterone crisis such a big issue for, you know, the like humans as a whole, but also for the individual. Well, ultimately, because testosterone is what drives men. That's, that's really the key indicator as to how vital and fertile a man is. And if, uh, I mean, just look at society today. Testosterone rates are at an all-time low um, compared to previous generations. And as a result, we're seeing a rise in infertility. We're seeing a rise in anxiety and depression. When you look at testosterone itself, um, there isn't something that it doesn't touch within the human body, even for women. It's especially crucial for women. So if that is not dialed in through lifestyle, because that's the primary mode of, of how you dial it in, um, outside of like being an older age and, and relying on like um, certain, uh, certain drugs for that, then TRT, baby. you're really in a TRT, exactly. Then you're in a terrible position on all fronts. Yeah. Why do why are people not caring enough about this? Why isn't this number one issue in front of all the billboards? Why are there so many smaller menial issues that get so much more press and publicity than this? I mean, they either don't know, which I think is the likely uh, outcome, or they just don't care. The way it's been taught through um, 
through modern culture and through science is really boring to them, I guess. And as a result, they're just totally off-put by it. They'd rather, you know, sit in front of a TV, watch binge net Netflix and Hulu and all sorts of other things. So it's really, yeah. I think, the way you communicate it to people, and this is what I appreciate about your work, the way you communicate it is arguably more important than the information itself. And I'm sure you resonate with that. I couldn't agree more. That's like my whole thing here. You know, the method is the message. And the issue with health, health education the reason that nobody gives a shit about it is because it's boring. We have boring people spewing boring facts that don't resonate, that aren't in the same language as like the average Joe. You like they're not saying what they need to hear. So I really like for me, it comes down to marketing. It's like, how can we take this information that is vital to the individual that should be their number one priority and express it in a way that actually resonates with them? There's no empathy with a lot of health education out there. So like with testosterone, they're like, oh, why would I care about testosterone? I don't even know what testosterone is. Well, do you care about vitality? Do you care about confidence? Do you care about mood? Do you care about effort feeling good? Do you care about like your male aura? Do you want more muscle mass? Do you want all these things that are byproducts of testosterone? Frame it as that, you know? It's like, yeah. come on, like people have a tendency when they're really smart to get really nerdy with it. And you really have to avoid that. Like you have to think about what the end person, the end consumer wants. And ultimately, try not to have a stick up your ass. A lot of people just, for some reason, they're like so robotic and they, they just want to try to push this agenda of what they believe in. And as a result, people are just not resonating with it. And that's why I think like your content does so well, man. You've, you've exploded over the past few months. And that's because you're an authentic character. You know how to package this stuff in a, in a fun and exciting way. And, you know, when you produce the content, people come. Yeah, man, you know, that's really something interesting that I found, especially being on Twitter and even just seeing it on YouTube and whatnot. You have these people who are the leading voices in health. They're really smart. They really know what they're talking about. But all of their content is pessimistic. It's dismissive. It's not beneficial to yeah. the end consumer. They're just more virtue signaling that I know more than thou. And it's not helping anyone. And I'm so confused why people do that. And it frustrates me so much. It's like, what, what are you doing this for, if not to help the individual at every single, every single touch point? And, you know, that's why I've been, like, I've been saying, like, for the people a lot, but, like, that's, that's what this is about. And another thing, it's like, if you're so healthy, if you're such an expert in, in health, why are you not happy? Like, if I'm not happy, I know I'm not healthy, because I know yeah. it goes deeper than that. And they're all just, you know, it's a lot of ideologues that are trying to push their way or the highway, and they're so negative about it. It's like, what are you doing? Yeah, it's a huge problem, man. And thankfully, I think there's more of a shift towards those creators who, uh, who understand what they're doing and can package it in, a, in the correct way, or at least in a more exciting way. So I'm, I'm very excited about the future. Yeah, me too. I think there's going to be some really big changes and paradigm shifts and just health education in general, especially with this younger generation. Because, you know, people are hitting that age where they're starting to get, they're, they're starting to become attuned to it. We're like, wow, uh, like this shit's fucked. And it's, it's starting earlier and earlier, which I love to see. You know, because for me, I'm a younger guy. And, you know, you're a younger guy as well. There's not a lot of people talking about this stuff at this age. And, you know, the younger people are listening. Like, they want to hear this stuff. A lot of my DMs are people who are, you know, the, the age range varies, which is great to see. But, you know, sometimes as young as 16, 15, and, you know, a lot of people in their early 20s, and that, those are the most pivotal moments, right? Because this is all preventative. These are all preventative measures. Like, it's a lot harder to heal someone's health and improve someone's symptoms when they're 60, you know, when they already are pre-diabetic, when they already have congenital heart issues. But, you know, when you're 22 and you're kind of in that prime health and you have that, you know, that pathway to go down of either poor health or optimization, it's a lot easier to just push them in that direction and hold their hand, give them the resources they need to make those better health decisions. Yeah, big time. The, their, um, their brains are set up for it. They're still developing, and as a result, you can send them in the right direction. So I absolutely agree. Yeah, no, it's really a big turning point. I definitely feel a responsibility to get this information out there. You know, I think the biggest thing for me has been trying to avoid becoming an ideologue. Um, because, mm. you know, I talk about a lot of stuff, and I do tend to become rather opinionated. But, like, my goal at the end of every post is, like, you know, listen – it's, it's not necessarily a cop-out, but sometimes it, feel like, it feels like it. But it's like, listen, like, this is very subjective. This is just my observations. You know, here's some actual factual studies that I've found. But at the end of the day, like, this is not to sway your actions. It's to give you the resources you need to make sound decisions by yourself, right? Like, I don't want to tell you what to do. Yeah. I want to 
teach you about these mechanisms so you can make better decisions for yourself. It's all about autonomy here. Yeah. And, and like we talked about earlier, it's about how you package it. Like if you, you can easily tell between a charlatan and someone who's authentic by the way that they package whatever information they're sharing. Um, so I'm always sure, I always make sure to like put nuance into what I'm talking about. I don't like to speak in black and whites too much. Um, and obviously we had the whole thing with Grimhood and, and really people who just can't read headlines. So I, I think that's an important distinction to, to keep in mind. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, we, we can get to the whole can of worms with, you know, some of the people online that like don't like that open discourse and are quick to make assumptions, <laughs> but we can save that for offline. Um, anyway, going back yeah, to testosterone worries. and kind of focusing more on tangible tactical things, you know, obviously I'm a full believer that our environment is trying to kill us at every single path and step. Like you work a lot of times with people and with individuals to improve their health. One of those big factors being testosterone. What have you seen as like the biggest movers in terms of potentially avoiding future testosterone loss, increasing testosterone naturally, and also just improving overall uh, hormonal health? Biggest movers I would say are always going to be the fundamentals. So do you have your circadian rhythm in check? Is your sleep good? Are you going to bed at the right time? Um, what does your hydration look like? What does your nutrition look like? Are you consuming an adequate amount of saturated fat? Um, are you staying around from the processed foods? I think it, it's not a sexy answer, but it's a necessary one. Uh, my most important, one of my most important things is to avoid toxin overload as well, which I know you're big into. So for example, we, uh, we restructure the, just the way your environment looks, making sure that you are um, changing the shower filter, making sure that you're, you're filtering your water if you don't have any available, if your only available source of water is the tap. Um, and just making sure all these little details are dialed in. But the funny thing about the little details is that over time they can become big. Um, meaning something as simple as mold toxicity can ruin your life. Something as simple as um, ingesting chlorine or inhaling it through your lungs can ruin your life. So I think that's an important thing for, for people to latch on to. Yeah, man. You know, we are resilient creatures, but we have our upper limits. And unfortunately, with a lot of these toxins, you know, as you mentioned, they're, they're bioaccumulative, right? So they add up in the yeah. system and they become progressively worse and worse. Yeah, 100%. And I think it's, it's if you don't have your detoxification pathways working at 100%, then you're going to set yourself up for disaster. Because that's how you eliminate everything. That's how you get the body moving. Um, that's how... Essentially, you regenerate tissues and, and cells and all sorts of things. So that has to be dialed in. Yeah. What does that um, like fortification of detox pathways look like for you? It's simple, man. I, I make sure to, to train as much as possible. I make sure to um, go on walks. I use activated charcoal regularly. Um, I've been experimenting with glutathione. And really, I think it's just about blocking out all the, the toxins that potentially can get into my system through the water, through, um, through uh, steam, through whatever method that it, it potentially can come through. Yeah, that's a big factor. I've really been focusing on that as well. Um, one of the biggest things for me was kind of just understanding, you know, where are toxins stored in the body and what are the natural detox pathways and how can we optimize those? Uh, I've been really big in the sauna. I believe you're a sauna fan as well. Yep. Um, that's been a huge factor. And also like understanding sometimes your systems need, you know, super physiological support. So that's when the NAC glutathione comes in, you know, other liver, like liver support. Um, and that's been a huge factor for me. Like, I've noticed a significant improvement in my health once I just committed to, you know, two, three weeks of heavy detox and understanding that it's going to get worse before it gets better. Yeah. And ultimately, like you said, it's, it's an accumulative thing. So a lot of people look at me having like earpods right now or drinking the sugar-free Red Bull. It's like they'd freak out over it. Damn, but dude. if you have everything yeah, you in check, it's not a big deal. It really isn't. I agree with that. And, you know, that comes back to the question. It's like, what do you want to be? Do you want to be resilient or do you want to be fragile and perfect 100% of the time? Like my goal yeah. is to be resilient, right? <clears throat> I'm probably going to like... 
I go to really random places where like I don't have anything in terms of like health stuff, uh, eating probably a shitty diet, being exposed to a ridiculous amount of environmental toxins, but because I've kind of optimized those detox pathways, I'm better to, I'm more able to like go through and have those experiences and be exposed to those toxins in short periods of time without having the serious negative side effects that someone else who might have not dedicated time to refortifying those pathways would. Big time. Yeah. As the saying goes, it's all about moderation, but even, even moderation can be taken too far these days. So you have to be very careful with what you do and how you approach it. Absolutely. Now, one thing that I see you really pushing a lot and really like a core of kind of your everyday routine is mineral water and most importantly, yeah. restructured water. Now, I actually, I worked with a restructured water company for a small amount of time, um, the same one that I believe you use, but they, uh, like, what's, what's the deal with that, right? Because people see water as water, they don't care if it's tap water, they don't care if it's boss. What, what's so special about mineral and structured water? Well, essentially, it's how water is supposed to be consumed. Um, through, throughout generations and throughout millennia, what, what sort of water would we drink? We drink spring water, which came from... Um, perfect springs that are not adulterated. The water doesn't travel through straight pipes that are covered in heavy metals. Um, and, and the water flows through a, a specific process as to like where it becomes structured to the point where it's, it, provide, it contains more energy and it provi as a result it provides more energy for the human body. So um, we can go deep into this stuff. A lot of it is quote unquote esoteric. Uh, a lot of people would label a lot of this stuff as pseudoscience, but as we're, as you dig into the science more and more, there's something real behind it. Um, and really, if, you, if you're looking at like the fundamental perspective, can you grow anything without water? I don't think so. I don't think you can. I don't think you can. And as a result, that points to water having some sort of property that allows it to um, help flourish life. So why wouldn't it, why wouldn't water itself have a property of being alive technically? And that's where the differentiation yeah. between living water and dead water comes in. But it's not alive in the sense that we're alive, but it responds to the environment. It responds to certain material. It's called the universal solvent for a reason, right? Interesting. Yeah. So, you know, I, a lot of people will look at it and they'll say, you know, H2O is H2O. Sure, it may have some other minerals in it that are effective, but that can all be explained through chemistry. This goes into a different realm, which I still believe is legitimate. Like, how would you categorize that realm of the idea of water being structured, being alive or dead, if someone were to want to go and do further research? Or even just to, like, rationalize it? Yeah, I think, honestly, the, the education component is key, so... One person, this individual, Victor Schauberger, is really the person who um, I was introduced to this concept by. Not indirectly, of course. He's he's dead. He's been dead for a long time. But um, his peace. books, rest in peace, his books and his work um, are really amazing because he, he covers more of the philosophical slash spiritual aspect of it. If you want to dive into the science, you can rely on like Dr. Gerald Pollack, um, you can do some research on natural action technologies, which is a company that I'm starting to learn about. But really, the education component is key. And I think if, if you don't have that initial background, then it's, it's all going to seem very confusing and very woo-woo and pseudoscientific. Yeah, I get that. And, you know, I'm a fan of the woo-woo and I'm a fan of the pseudoscientific, but I always try to meld it with the scientific and rational because I used to be on the very opposite side where I was all just scientific and rational. But you get to a certain point where you realize that modern science has its limitations. There are certain things that we simply can't understand, let alone rationalize and explain in scientific studies. And a lot of that comes down to the fact that, you know, we as humans only have five senses. And that doesn't mean that there are things outside of those five senses that exist in the environment and in the universe. Like, we know this, I'm not even being coy here. You know, dogs can hear certain frequencies that we can't hear. You know, flies and ants can see different like light spectrums that we can't see. So that's a huge factor as well. Um, what have you noticed, you know, if anything, from obviously avoiding tap water, most importantly, but introducing more rich spring water, natural forms of water, restructured water and whatnot? Just an improvement on all fronts. I mean, I think the, the first initial improvement is uh, more or higher energy throughout the day. 
um, better digestion, better skin. You you just look more hydrated compared to most people. Um, and that's that's not a stretch considering most people are drinking soda all day and doing all sorts of other things. Um, but I think one thing that I want to touch on, which is extremely important as to like the technical side of spring water is the difference between explosion and implosion energy. And this is something Victor Schauberger touched on in depth. Explosion energy is powerful. Of course, when you, when you look at a video of an explosion, you see destruction all around you and, and the potential that that carries. But what a lot of people don't consider is implosion energy. Um, so this is essentially energy that funnels back to the energetic point of reaction, whereas explosion energy funnels out. And if you notice, the places where implosion energy is, is the default mode of, of energy, such as a spring, you'll notice that there's beauty all around it. And that's because it, that's because it has a beautifying effect on the environment. Whereas explosion energy has a, has a destructive effect on the environment. So I think that's, that's an important concept that people can chew on and, and need to couch into their understanding. That's really interesting. I didn't think of it in that way, um, but that's totally right. Yeah. If I explained it correctly, did it come across? Yeah. I mean, like, I think just like the implosion versus explosion in nature, that's a really solid visual, um, in terms of, you know, what does a bomb do versus, I I don't know, (laughs) what even is a natural example of an implosion, like a, 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 a sinkhole? Yeah. Well, whirlpools. Whirlpools are the chief method of uh, implosion energy, and you'll and if you watch videos of implosion energy, what you'll find is like you can throw a stick or or a, let's say a rock or some sort of object into that whirlpool, and eventually it'll funnel down to a single point and it'll shoot up. It'll either shoot up or shoot off into the water. So that's really? that gives you an idea of the potential energy that it carries. That's unreal. That's incredible. That's awesome to hear. And you know, in terms of that was kind of a misnomer question for me to ask like what tangible tactical uh benefits do you see from water we know that water is crucial for every single bodily function and life in general so if you increase your water quality you're going to be increasing quality in all fronts and you know that's something that we see a lot too is like this chronic dehydration in people who are drinking a boatload of water and i'm sure that's multifactorial low water quality low mineral content in our water especially even if it is filtered um and i think you know just the number one reason anyone would want to do that is like, well, it's going to make you look better, right? It's going to make you look more alive. It's going to make you feel better. So that's a huge factor. And that goes back to what we're saying. It's like, how can we explain these topics in a way that are, you know, beneficial to the end listener and like, who doesn't want better skin? So that's super Mm -hmm. interesting. Um, In terms of better skin and also also other cool uh, health components that it seems to be really big on right now, talk to me about red light. How'd you get into it? Why do you think it's so beneficial? And, you know, why is it such an integral part of your routine? Yeah, man. So I'm a big fan of, uh, of red light. I'm a big uh, red light respecter, as they say. I really don't. I don't remember how I got into it. <laughs> I don't remember how I got into it. I think someone was like, maybe Ben Greenfield talked about it. Some big um, health influencer out there. And then I started really going down the, the rabbit hole with it. So... Red light therapy is extremely therapeutic. Um, the red and near-infrared light wavelengths just have a profound impact on the body. And if you, if you do more research into it, sunlight, about 50% of sunlight actually contains those spectrums of um, light wavelengths. So that's part of the reason why vitamin D3 and why sunlight exposure in general is so healing. But I rely on it and I have it on in the background as people can see. I rely on it for sleep, for skin, digestion. Um, I'm even playing around with it to like heal the gut lining, see if that makes any difference. Obviously that's a bit more murky, but really just everything across the board because of, of how powerful it is in terms of its impact on mitochondria, ATP, um, and then nitric oxide more specifically. Yeah, no, hundred percent. It's, it's also like so attuned with just natural wavelengths of light. Right. And I think wavelengths that we aren't exposed to as much anymore in the modern world, you know, how much exposure do people get to sunrise and sunset compared to, you know, sun at peak day at noon when they go on their lunch break, those are such important wavelengths that we're really not getting, especially not full body exposure as much as our ancestors were when they'd wake up butt naked and just be blasted with morning light. 
Um, I actually got into the healing properties of red light when I had a lower back injury. Actually, no, no, no. It wasn't even my lower back injury. It was when I uh, tore my calf and Achilles tendon from skiing. And one of the most effective things for healing was, you know, red light laser therapy. And I was just amazed because before that, I didn't have the understanding of the healing properties of light. I wasn't, you know, sun maxed. I didn't really understand the benefits of sun exposure, which would explain, you know, me living in the Arctic tundra, why I felt so shitty all the time because I was never getting any sun. And then, like, the benefits that it had for my skin when I started going to, like, an actual full panel red light, red light, I almost called it a red light district, um, like a red light uh, clinic. And, you know, it's so pervasive, the benefits. You know, you talk about it for your brain. You talk about it for your gut. You know, it, it really helps on all fronts once again. And I do believe this is a reoccurring theme. When you are dealing with things that are integral to life and survival uh, of the human organism, be it water, be it light, like things that we've been exposed to since the beginning of time, it's really going to help all bodily functions. Now, <clears throat> why, like, why do you think red light is so beneficial for the brain and like just like clearing up mental energy, you know, you talk about a lot about it with meditation. I know you've been pondering that a lot. Have you made any assumptions, made any conclusions? Uh, I haven't really made any conclusions as of yet. I, I just noticed like there were a couple times when I would like put my, so I'm, I'm still healing from uh, psoriasis and making sure that that's all in check. I'm healing the gut. What I do as a part of that is put my scalp to the red light, like probably two or three inches away from that, sit in front of it for about 10 minutes, 10 or 15 minutes. Um, but with the meditation, I've noticed that I get into a, an interesting state of mind. And the only state of mind that I could correlate, or correlate it with is when I've been very deep into meditation. I don't do it anymore, but in the past when I have been consistent with it, it was the exact same feeling where it almost like, the only way I could describe it is my, like I become the room in a sense. My ego has essentially expanded and objects that seem far are actually like they feel much closer than in reality. I don't, it's difficult to describe, but regardless, I think the, the way it interacts with mitochondria and how it creates more ATP, that has to play a key function in the brain. Because what the brain uses up like 30 to 35% of your total body, total body's energy. So that's, that's yeah. just what I'm thinking. No, it's a ridiculously taxing organ and it makes sense why it's difficult to explain. I think all like, phenomena that are really uh, profound are just difficult to explain by nature. Otherwise they'd be commoditized. Now, I noticed that as well. The way that you, you said it, it honestly gave me chills because it reminded me of the time when I was deep in a red light. And that it was, it was the weirdest feeling because, you know, I deal with like what I believe to be a little bit of mitochondrial dysfunction, chronic brain fog, uh, fatigue, and like neural inflammation. And when I was in that red light and going super deep, right, I would go from cryo chamber to red light and I'd really push the numbers on that, like straight to the dome. And it, it was weird, like uh, the way to explain it is like there was a certain feeling where like you become the room. And it was the first time where I had just like clear, like line of thought, but there was, there, were, there, were, there was no thought. It was just like clear blank slate. And yeah, I, I reckon it to like deep meditation. So that's super interesting. Um, have there been any other health tools or just health implementations that you've done recently that have been profound? potentially to the level of red light? Hmm. I'm, I, I would say probably ocean swims have helped a lot. Yes. Uh, just being, just being on the beach in general has been a key part to my regimen. And I've sort of like, I'm kind of pissed at myself because, uh, I, I let it go for like a week or two, but I'm slowly getting back into it. And, um, I mean, just everything, man, just under the sunlight, you can sprint barefoot. You're allowing your feet to do what they naturally should be doing. Um, you're getting all the, the trace minerals and electrolytes through the ocean water. It's just like from, from every angle, it's just one of the most amazing things you could do for your body. Um, and other than that, I've just been experimenting heavy on, on supplements and I'm a big fan of the company Symbiotica. So I'm currently using like their, their methylated B products, their um, B vitamin products, their activated charcoal. What else? Um, magnesium L3 and 8, a whole bunch of stuff. So I'm just really just testing a bunch of different things out. Yeah, those are like all my favorite supplements. 
And I couldn't agree more with the ocean. I think it is the most underrated healing tool. I think anybody that lives within a 20-minute vicinity to the ocean and isn't going at least three times a week is missing out on low-hanging fruits to just improve your quality of life significantly. I find the one redeeming factor of making my days exponentially better and my weeks exponentially better is how many times did I get in the ocean. And it's just incredible. Like, when I'm in the ocean, that's one of the few times where I feel like a child again, right? And I, like, it's very meditative for me. I'll go and I'll swim for like 45 minutes, just do like a breaststroke and not any particular direction, usually just straight out into the ocean because it's a little bit scary, um, which is good. But I, I genuinely believe that it brings back that, um, that in vitro uh, like feeling of being like in the womb again, right? For the same yeah. reason that like being in a hot shower kind of releases certain feelings, call them endorphins, whatever you want to call them. But it is just so healing is the best way to put it. Um, unfortunately, like it once again, sounds too esoteric, but it's definitely one of the best things that you can do. And you mentioned it's so multifactorial, right? You've got the grounding aspect, you've got the remineralization aspect, and you've also got like the sun exposure in conjunction with grounding, which I think is the best combination ever, right? Like every single morning, my goal and my objective is to get grounding in and to get sunlight in. Why not do that in the ocean? Man, it's a power combo. And I, I don't know if you have this feeling, but you, you did point at it with uh, the childlike feeling. For some reason, like 20 to 30 minutes into being on the sand and, and doing some ocean swims and getting out, maybe doing some sprints, you just feel the need to like jump around in joy and just like run and, and like act like a child. And that's very real. And I think that's just the effect that both the grounding and the vitamin D3 and the aerosolized minerals um, that get through your lungs, I, I think that just plays a huge part into the overall experience. And as a result, you just want to like jump for joy and, and be a child. It really does. And I think that's something that everybody should pursue. It's like, how can I release that inner child again? Because so many of us lack it, like we die, like our child in us dies. And that's how we become miserable. I forget who says it, but it's like, you know, the, the way to happiness is to like pursue your inner child. And I agree because I've spent times completely avoiding it, you know, being a big adult, like serious, uh, like goal oriented and whatnot. But when I can incorporate, you know, that hour in my day to go and pursue those things that bring out that inner joy, right? Where I'm literally like jumping and I'm, and I'm talking to myself and I'm like, like just humming and doing dumb shit. Like I just feel great, man. I feel great. And I'm so ready to attack the day. I'm so optimistic once I do that. And there's few things that get that out of me. You know, one of them being going in the ocean, another one of them being just like extended periods of time where I'm just wandering without my phone, just walking, like noticing the serendipity of life and most importantly of nature. You know, I was at the beach the other day doing some sprints because I've really been incorporating that. I just believe it's one of the best exercises you can do for overall hormonal health and it just turns you into an absolute unit. Um, and like I was there and I was literally running on the beach and there's a pack of dolphins swimming next to me at the same pace. And I'm like, wow. this is absolutely crazy. And then I become attuned to all of the other organisms in this very biodiverse nature sphere. And there's like a, like hawks flying over me. There's these like birds everywhere. I see these crabs on the ground and I'm like, holy shit, this is crazy. I feel one with nature. Like this is how humans are supposed to feel. And we yeah. don't get that when we're plugged into our phones, these devices that are robbing us of our vitality. And you just, you really feel what it felt like to be a human for the majority of our existence, right? Like that's just how we lived for the longest period of time. You know, Case, uh, Case Bradford, uh, our mutual friend, he said like this absolute banger tweet. He's like, remember that like, we didn't come from cave dwellers, we came from ocean dwellers. And I'm like, wow, that's yeah. such a good point. Yeah, as, as a species, we spent the majority of our time around coastlines because accessible food, I mean, just the sun, the, sun, the, the ocean, you could potentially travel because you're, you're on a coastline. So, I mean, what you were describing is 100% is on point. You, you see synchronicities um, with the wandering. You, you begin to tap into some like weird thing where you peek behind the curtain of the Matrix. And it's almost like you're, you're playing out a, a scene out of the new Avatar movie or some shit like that. It's, it's pretty incredible. It really is. I honestly, I'm very glad for what Avatar as a series did for us to, you know, continue to fantasize in a good way, the connection that we have with nature and how integral it, how integral it is to us as a species. 
And, you know, now it's so radical to say, hey, like, go walk barefoot, potentially commando on the beach for hours at a time every day. And they're like, that's so crazy. Like, you're a crazy person. But, like, if you study evolution whatsoever and even just have the common sense to understand where we came from, like, that's how we existed for the majority of our life. And for me, you know, as much as I love diving into the science, as much as I love diving into the biohacking and stuff, like the key to overall health and subsequently fulfillment and just feeling good as an organism is to just align more with how we're evolutionary and evolutionarily engineered to live and see how we can apply that and layer that onto the modern world. And we just, we don't do that enough. No, not, not nearly enough. And I think it's a tragedy and a true shame that people have been so psyoped and, and brainwashed into believing that getting sunlight is something negative. Like, okay, yes, of course you can get too much sunlight and burn, which would increase your chance of skin cancer, but um, really, like, think about it for a second. What Vitamin D3 plays a crucial role in everything in terms of human health. Um, so I really do think it's a shame that people have, have just been brainwashed with this stuff, and I think we're doing the type of work which brings that truth to light. Um, and I think it's necessary and important work, considering how, how this is really infected the minds of so many people. You're spot on. And, you know, I believe you can play both sides of the fence. You know, in the same sense, in the same exact sentence that you were explaining the benefits of serendipitous ocean walks, you were also mentioning some, you know, very advanced supplementation through Symbiotica. You can do both, right? And I find both to yeah. be beneficial. I speak about both. Most of my content is about more of the advanced stuff. And I just find that because that's what a lot of people are interested in. You know, that's just what they're tuned to see. So if you can bring them in the door with that, show them how you can layer that into a healthy lifestyle, but then point out the real big key movers that are going to push that needle forward, which is just living a life more aligned with how we're evol evolutionarily engineered to live. That's a mouthful. Um, <laughs> you can just become such a better and happier person. And I think you and I both, it's very reassuring to see people, you know, in our comments, in our DMs that are saying, man, you know, I just went in the ocean for the first time in years. I've been living on like near this beach for the last decade and holy shit, I feel so good. I feel so good mm -hmm. and like that's what you wanna hear. You wanna hear people saying they feel good. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one important thing for people to keep in mind is that I, I started this journey from a very dark place. Like I, my father passed of heart disease, um, avoidable condition, but it's, that happened when I was 18 while traveling the world to try to pursue soccer professionally. I'm sure you've dealt with a number of things like concussions, TBIs, stuff like that. I don't know what other sort of health background you have in terms of like maybe dealing with anyone who does have chronic disease. Um, so like this, this is very important for us because we've been through some real shit and we don't want ourselves and other people to go through that. So from a certain perspective, we'll do whatever it takes in terms of research, experimentation to make sure that we get the most out of this domain. Um, and, and from there, like just try to teach as many people as possible. And I'm sure you resonate with that. I, I do a hundred percent. And you know, that's everybody in this space, everybody that's obsessed with health, they usually started because them or someone they loved had some serious health issues. And, you know, for me, it was multifactorial, but a lot of it was just feeling shitty, right? Like having treatment resistant yeah. depression, all of the modern methods were completely ineffective and debatably made things worse. And just having the authority and the autonomy to want to take things in your own hands. And I think a lot of that just comes from stubbornness. You know, maybe it comes just from like a refusal to give up. But that's what it was for me. It's like there were factors in my life that everybody said was just the way things are. This is how you're going to be. Here's the, the, the things that modern medicine says will help you with it. And they're completely ineffective. So, you know, you come to a certain point where you're like, fuck this. Like, I have two options. I either accept things for the way they are and live my life miserable, or I fix it myself. And I go down this rabbit hole. One of two things happens. Either A, I figure it out, or B, I have a really good time, like, just learning about all this stuff. And worst case scenario, I'm in the same situation I was when I started. Yeah. Spot on, man. And look at, look at where it's brought you. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm super glad. I don't think I'm where I would be or let alone go down this path if I didn't like have those things that I had to deal with. And also, you know, for me personally, I'm very much someone that can't do something that I'm not interested in and I'm not passionate about, which sucked, right? It sucked in the beginning because I was like, man, I have all these opportunities in front of me. I'm not able to take advantage of them because I'm just like, I'm unable to extrinsically motivate myself other than like short tactics and hacks. 
But you know, I made a I made a decision very early on that I'm in this game of life for the long run, right? So I'm not looking for the thing that's going to make me the happiest one year from now. I'm looking for the thing that's going to make me happiest ten years from now. And I believe that I was really good at analyzing old people and seeing where their regrets are, where their mistakes are, asking them about it, and just looking at them. And my biggest fear was to become the old man that lived a life pursuing external pleasures, only to become an alcoholic and hate his life down the road. So I guess I'm really hyper attuned to that. I believe everybody should dig into that. And if I can, you know, potentially be of help by promoting that and showing people that, like, hey, like, this is, listen, this is a path. You have more autonomy than you think. You know, I, I perceive that as a job well done. Yeah, straight up, man. I couldn't have said it any better. Straight up. Yeah, it's a big factor. So. Zaid, I know you work with a lot of people, help them improve their health, help them, you know, just get better. And that's probably given you a lot of data points of what you see to be the lot, like an issue, call it with modern life, with, you know, potentially the modern man. What have been the biggest ones that stand out the most? We're like, man, so many people are dealing with this, but not enough people are talking about it. Yeah. Um, the poor sleep is really, I think, probably the biggest one, but whenever I get DMs from people or whenever I work with people, I think the fatigue is, is a huge one. And, and obviously that's multifactorial. Um, one thing I've noticed is that people think they get a lot of sunlight when they really don't get enough. Um, and I think it's important to make sure that you have most of your skin exposed. Like you, you, you can go for a walk, expose your face to sunlight, but I don't think that's going to be enough if you want to gain the real therapeutic effect of vitamin D3 and just all the other cofactors that are associated with it. So that's what I've noticed. People don't get enough sunlight. Um, they're, they're really completely lost with supplementation. Like the people, most people have no idea what to supplement with. And I'm sure you know this. Um, and really they just try to throw something at the wall and see if it sticks, but there, there's no systematic approach to it. There's no understanding of like the mechanisms behind what supplement they're using. And I think that it's potentially dangerous. Like you can kill yourself with, with enough of the wrong supplements. So um, those are just a few things I've noticed. Ah, man, that's such a big one. You know, we're both certified supplement respecters, but the sheer misuse and just, I guess, I wouldn't say ignorance, but lack of understanding of how to properly supplement is so rampant. Everyone's always in my DMs asking me like, what supplement should I take? What's your supplement stack? I never tell them, I'm like, oh, that's, like, how's your sleep? How's your daily lifestyle? What types of food are you consuming? When was the last time you got lab tests? So people really need to start yeah. seeing it more as a scientific experiment, right? Like leverage the scientific method in your daily life. Always start with knowing something from front to back because at the end of the day, a lot of these supplements are highly powerful, potent compounds, right? So they might be doing one biological function, but they're likely having other downstream biological functions that you may not know about. No different than red light, no different than structured water. It's likely affecting you on multiple levels as an organism. So if you don't know that shit from front to back, there's a large chance that you might misuse it. I think as a general rule of thumb, be, be extremely cautious with anything you take, opt for avoidance as opposed to implementation, and make sure that you are cycling whatever it is, even if all signs say that you don't have to cycle it because you never know. And also be hyper attuned. How do you feel on it? How do you feel off of it? What is the purpose that you're using it for? And what could be potential downstream issues? Right, because like I'm a big proponent of what I mentioned, like NAC. But people are taking two thousand or like two grams of NAC a day for six months at a time. Well, it's completely <laughs> depleting them of zinc, of copper, of selenium. It's competing for absorption with a number of other minerals that will likely give them more harm than good in the long run. So I guess word word to the wide: cycle everything, become an expert in anything before you take it long term. Yeah, and it's a game of personalization. There's there's no like. There's no five supplements that I recommend for everybody. It depends on who you are, what your habits are. Um, and also another thing that I've been exploring deeply the past few years is um, blood analysis and gene analysis. Like you, if you want to dive into like the nitty gritty uh, metrics to see whether or not supplements are working, you have to understand what your genetic background is, what your polymorphisms are, what your genetic SNPs are. And then um, on the blood work end, you have to understand what metrics to look for in regards to the supplement that you're using. Like an example is um, what TMG betaine, trimethylglycine, and how that impacts homocysteine. But if you don't know that you're supposed to look at homocysteine, what are you going to look at? 
you just don't know. It's a huge factor. Once again, it goes back to that tunnel, tunnel vision. We see it especially in pharmacology where they're like, hey, listen, take this drug for this reason, but you know, we're not even going to look at the other downstream implications of it. And it just <laughs> leads people astray. It ends up compounding other health issues down the line that you really don't want to deal with. So honestly, yeah, I think a lot of people are better off you know, taking few supplements, maybe a few minerals and essential vitamins if they do know deficiencies before they actually really dig into it and commit to going through this process of optimization and supplementation. Because it is a process, it requires a fundamental baseline of knowledge that a lot of people don't have. Everybody wants the easy out, everybody wants the answer in a pill, that's just human nature. But if you wanna do it right, you really have to dig into it and you have to commit to learning that knowledge. Yeah, 100% truth, man. Yeah. Well, Zaid, man, this has been an awesome conversation. I appreciate you coming on. Um, very insightful. And, you know, people probably notice that we dive into these conversations. We're both very interested in the nitty gritty and the tactical. But yeah. I genuinely believe that the more esoteric, higher level conceptual ideas are more important than any one off pieces of advice we could give. I assume you'd resonate with that as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, another thing to, to package that in is just holistic understanding. You got to look at multiple angles. You got to study different things, take what works, take what doesn't, and then just implement it into your own strategy and make sure that you're always seeing the forest from the trees. Don't get stuck on the on what's in front of you necessarily. Look at everything else. Yeah, you know, I think that's probably the most important thing. Don't be an ideologue. Don't get caught up with your identity in any given, like, diet, any given lifestyle, aim to avoid confirmation bias at all steps. Like I'm always pursuing things that don't make sense to me conceptually, right? That's why I'm really interested in Ray Pete and like the Pete fundamentals, because like, it doesn't make sense to me. Like it doesn't seem evolutionarily accurate, but there's so many people that are adamant about it. So it's like one of the biggest things I research. It's always how it is. Like you want to research the things that you don't understand or else you're just a, a simpleton, right? Like that's, that's what Neanderthals do. Yeah. Have that, have that open mind, man. It's, it's especially crucial, and I appreciate that about your work, is that you just go into it with an open mind. And that's what I aim to do every single day. And um, obviously, we mess up, we get some things wrong, but that's the nature of being a human being. So otherwise, we, yeah. we rock on and we, we march forward. That's what it's about, man. Well, Zaid, thanks again, man. Enjoy your Wednesday. Uh, if anybody wants to see some of Zaid's work, he has some absolute gems on his Twitter page. It's been one of my favorites. The amount of things that he's exposed me to is not insignificant by any means. So check him out on there. Zaid, what is your handle again? Uh, so it's at, at Zaid K. Dahaj, Z-A-I-D-K-D-A-H-H-A-J. Wonderful. Anything else? Any awesome, lasting... Bro lasting uh notes comments what you want the people to know um if anyone wants to get in touch with me i mean just find me on twitter if you want to work with me just just hit me up via dm you can look at my landing page um subscribe to the 2am podcast as always we're, we're cooking up some big things so other than that it's been an amazing discussion man likewise i second that too check out his podcast it's incredible episode 189 zad thanks man have a great day awesome brother have a good one peace out